Hey guys, welcome to the weekly podcast of Bethel Assembly, Sedalia, Missouri. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and a blessing to your life. If you want more information about Bethel Assembly, please go to our website, BethelAssembly.info. Thanks again. Well, we are in part three of a series that we're simply calling Grounded, the Non-Negotiables of Life. This series is what we've been building up to for the past six months. We've talked about our encounter with God. We've talked about knowing the very words of Jesus and what He has to say. And most recently, we talked about what role the Holy Spirit wants to play in each and every one of us. And by the way, I I saw on Facebook a statement the other day that I loved. It said something to this effect, do you need the Holy Spirit to go to heaven? And the person's response is, I, only need, I not only need the Holy Spirit to go to heaven, I need the Holy Spirit to go to Walmart. And I was like, that is so true. I need the Holy Spirit to step outside of my door every single day. So where do we go from here? That's what we're diving into in this series. What is it we need to do in order to apply or even implement the very words that God has placed for our lives? Now, throughout this series, we're going to discover by digging down deep and planting roots what it takes to, to not waver when opposition comes into our lives, to, to not give in when struggles come before us, or not to give in when we're facing temptation. But I want you to listen to our text today. It's found in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. It says, but you are a chosen people. Look to the person on your right and say, you are chosen. It goes on to say this, you're a royal priesthood. Look at the person on your left and whether they're a guy or girl, say you're a king or you're a queen. Make sure you get that correct. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Have you ever thought about that? You aren't just His creation. You're His special possession. You know, you're you're that thing that, that you make sure all the lights are hitting on it at the house and you have it displayed in the living room that when someone walks in the door, the first thing they see is that item. You all know the item that I'm talking about. That's what you are to God. You are His special possession. And that's hard for some of you to grasp because some of you know you way too well. And you're thinking, how could I be a special possession? I mess up way too much. I have too many wrong thoughts. I do too many wrong things. I say the wrong thing, and this comes out, and this is not what it should be, and I do this, and I know I shouldn't do that. You're kind of like Paul. You know what you should do, but you don't do what you know you should do. Instead, you do what you know you shouldn't do. Right? That's, that's, that's what Paul was saying. Anybody else kind of like that? I am just a mess. Remember, we are a work in progress, but the good news is you are God's special possession. He loves you. He's chosen you. He's placed you as royal priests in a holy nation that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness. Come on, somebody. He's called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. 
God has a better plan for your life than you ever imagined. God has something special in store for you. He's chosen you to be set apart, to be different from this world, yet more times than not, we're guilty of conforming or even blending in to the culture around us for fear that, that somebody may notice us. For fear that, that somebody may make fun of us, that somebody may say something about us, so we simply conform and blend in to the culture around us. That's what I want to help us resolve today, because we aren't called to blend in. That special possession you have in your home, you don't want it to blend in with all the other junk, right? So you set it apart, you give it its own place, you have special lighting on it, it's special placement, so that it's the center of attention for all. Yet many of us, we know now that we're God's special possession, but we try everything we can to blend in with all the surroundings around us. And God says, you're called to be set apart. I've brought you out of darkness. I've placed you in the light to proclaim the good news. We've taken the time to look at what happens when we allow compromise into our lives. And last week we discussed the steps that are required in order to truly be grounded in Jesus. But today I want to begin to implement God's Word into our lives. The Bible tells us it's not good enough just to hear the Word. But we must begin to act upon the very Word of God. So today, I want to take some time to help us as individuals to understand and implement what God has called us to be. More specifically, I want us to personally set mission statements for ourselves. Well, pastor... We have a mission statement. Love, reach, empower people of all cultures for Jesus Christ. We have a mission statement. Sure, we as a church have one, but what about you individually? You are a chosen person. The special possession of God. You have been called out. What about your life? It's not enough to have a mission statement as a church. Because if we fail to really know who we are personally, we'll fail to pursue the calling that God has specifically for us. It's, it's not enough to, to rest upon the church's purpose. We must discover who we are in Christ. If you fail to know who you are as an individual, you will fail to achieve the calling that God has for you. I want to encourage you, don't rest upon the calling of the church. Discover who you are in Christ. You are a chosen individual. The special possession of the creator of the world. 
He's got a plan and a purpose for you. What does that look like? What is the mission statement that God has set up for you individually? Well, let's take a moment by discussing and discovering what exactly is a mission statement. Well, a mission statement compels the organization, or in our case, the individual, to go and do something with a specific purpose for a specific people. Uh, let me say that again. A mission statement compels the individual to go and do. So in other words, the, the, the mission statement gives us action and purpose for our actions. As a church, love, reach, and empower people of all cultures for Jesus Christ. Our action is to love them, to reach them, to empower them. The people or anyone that's lost without Jesus. That's our mission as a church. But what does that look like for you as an individual? What is the action that God has set before you? What is the purpose that he has for you? You see, simply put, it's the big picture of what God has called you as an individual uniquely to do for him. But I want you to understand your mission is much more than your career. Well, Pastor, my mission is to be the best lawyer I can be. My mission is to be the best truck driver I can be. My mission is to be the best um, stay-at-home mom that I can be. My mission is to be the best nurse or teacher that I can be. No, 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 no. Your mission is so much more than that. It's certainly part of the mission, but that's not all of it. See, your life, whether you realize, realize this or not, your life will have an impact on the world around you. Regardless who you are, regardless what your career is, regardless what your economic status is, regardless what your family name is, your life as an individual will have an impact on society. You have an imprint. So with that in mind, doesn't it make sense that we take the time to formulate a plan. If I'm going to have an impact, I need to have a plan. Yes? Okay, you're going to catch on to this as we go along, I'm certain. Um, listen to this quote by uh, Richard um, Bowles. He said this, As the stone does not always know what ripples it will cause in the pool whose surface it impacts, so neither we nor those who watch our life will always know what we have achieved by our life or by our mission. We may never know what we have accomplished until we see Him face to face after this life is past. In other words, you may never know the impact that your life makes. I may never know the impact that my life makes until that point in time that I stand face to face with God in heaven and he says, I want to share with you what happened in your life. The things that you never saw. A few years ago, I was on staff at another church and I get a phone call on my cell phone one day and, and this guy, 
talking to me and he says, I don't know if you remember me or not, but, but when you were a teacher, I was one of your students and I, I was in your mixed chorus class and, and I'm trying and I've tried since that day to figure out exactly which child he was and I believe he was the one that came in every day with short um, Kool-Aid red dyed hair with little spikes all over and he had ripped his clothing and he'd stapled all the rips closed and this was the boy that I was talking to and he calls me and he says I don't know if you remember me but but I want to share with you where I am now and this had been oh goodness gracious 15 years since he had been in my classroom he says when I was in your class and by the way that that mixed course class was a rough group of kids it was first hour every day and it smelled like a mixture of cheap cologne and cigarettes It's a true story. Um, but he calls and he says, I, I want you to know where I am today. He said, when I was in your class, I was in a really rough place, a really rough direction. But because of your class, I've turned my life around. I'm now a police officer. And, and things in my life are going great. I just want to say thanks. And I was like, What? You never know the impact that your life is going to make. Just befriending somebody, just showing the love of God. There was an old song back in the 80s that says, you're the only Jesus that some will ever see. How true that is. You never know the impact. The problem that we encounter is oftentimes there are roadblocks that keep us from fulfilling the purpose that God has set before us. Let's look at some of those roadblocks. Uh, number one is conformity. We talked a little bit about this on the onset of the message. Conformity, in our case, can be defined as fitting into the mold or simply becoming similar to the outside world, becoming like the outside world. Yet, this is exactly the opposite of what we're instructed to do as Christians. Romans chapter 12 says this, do not conform. Let me ask you, if the Bible specifically says do not conform, why is it that we oftentimes do conform? Pressures? Fear? Insecurity? An unwillingness to push forward? I, the list goes on and on of, of the reasons why, nevertheless, we end up conforming and doing exactly the opposite of what the Bible says we are to do. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Church, I, I fear that we're at a point in time when the Christian has to make a choice. Because we're seeing way too many Christians... Way too many churches begin to conform and go with the mindset of this world. And guess what? When you begin to go with the mindset of this world, you're no longer going with the mindset of God, but you're joining forces with the enemy, with Satan, because he's the ruler of this world. It's time that the Christian begins to stand up. It's time that we no longer conform. It's time that we break out of the mold of this world and be the light in the darkness, that we be the hope in the hopelessness. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be, oh, here it is, come on, but be 
transformed by the renewing of your mind. What is it that you are allowing into your mind? That makes a big difference. I remember when I was a young adult, the church that I was at, we, we held a, a kid's evangelistic service, and, and one of the songs that they sang was Input, Output. What goes in is what comes out. And, and mom and dad, we tell our kids this all the time, don't we? We're like, hey, you don't need to let that trash in your mind, but what are we letting in? What are we entertaining? What are we allowing to, to take root inside of us? The Bible says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, allow the Word of God, allow who He is to be penetrated into who we are so there's a circular motion of, of God's praise and God's grace and God's mercy and God's mindset and who He is running through us on a continual basis. But then He goes on to say this, then... After you resist the urge to conform, after you open up your heart and open up your mind and allow God to transform you from the inside out, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Remember our text says, you're chosen. You are a chosen people. We're not called to be like this world. We're not called to, to fit in. We're not called to be just like everyone else, but we're called to be set apart. We're called to be different. We're called to step out of the darkness. We're called to bring forth the lights and proclaim the good news of God. I challenge you today, resist the urge to conform. Number two, the second roadblock is becoming comfortable with life. Now, this particular roadblock can easily become a reality because I don't know about you, but life just gets crazy. Anybody else's schedule just crazy? Like two of us? The rest of you are all liars? And there's an altar call coming in about... 30 minutes. No, life gets insane, doesn't it? Our schedules get nuts. We find ourselves coming and going. In fact, by the time you get done, you, you, you can almost see the taillights and the headlights on the same rotation because you're just circling around and around and around. So it becomes so easy for us to rest in the comfort in that moment when we can kick back and we can relax for a moment. And we embrace that moment wholeheartedly. The problem is when the comfort blocks us from becoming what God would have us to be. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't rest because you need rest. There was a few Thursdays ago, I had just kind of hit that point where it was either take a day off and breathe or I'm just going to explode from the top. You know, I'm just, I'm just being transparent with you. So I took a Thursday off, and can I just tell you, literally that day, I did nothing. 
I sat on the deck a while and read. I laid on the hammock a while and read. I sat back on the deck a while and read. I, I hung out on the hammock for a while. And, I mean, I did virtually nothing all day. So you need those moments of rest. You need that time. But don't allow the comforts of life to block you from becoming what God would have you to be. Do you remember our text last week? It reminds us that there are action steps that we must take. Let me remind you our text. If any of you wants to be my follower, Jesus is speaking here, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. In other words, put forth the effort and push forward in the calling of God. So we've got the roadblock of conformity, the roadblock of comfort, and number three, wrong priorities. Have you ever been guilty of setting wrong priorities? Sure, we all have. We become excited or we find something that we really enjoy and sooner than later it begins to take the focus off of God and it suddenly becomes the center of our attention. Oftentimes, these wrong priorities aren't bad things. They're just roadblocks. It could be working way too much. It could be recreation. It could be other activities or hobbies. The list goes on and on. They're, they're not bad things, but suddenly they, they take a higher level than God and they get more priority than God and suddenly our priorities are out of focus and there needs to be an adjustment. Colossians chapter 3 says this, Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Am I saying that we're not to be, have hobbies? No, we need hobbies. All work and no play makes you pretty dull. You need hobbies. You need an outlet. You need something that's out of your norm just to, to decompress a little bit. But what I'm saying is keeping the right priority and the right perspective is what is a vital part of our lives. The things of this world will soon be gone, but the things of God, the things of eternity will last forever. Mom and Dad, let me ask you a question. What values are you instilling in your kids? What is it that you are making a priority in your family? What gets the most attention in your family? Because here's the deal. God is either first place in your life or he's no place at all. No amens? <laughs> Thanks. God is either first place in your life or he's no place at all. How can I make such a statement? Because Jesus himself said, you've got to be either hot or cold. There's nothing in between. None of this lukewarm area. Where is God in your personal life? In your level of priorities, where do you place God? Well, Pastor, I, I come to church every Sunday. That's not what I'm asking. I'm asking in your life. Not in your Sunday morning, but in your life. Where does God fit in? Would you say He's first place? 
If not, I would suggest to you that perhaps you need to make some adjustments in the priorities of your life. God is either first place or He's no place at all. Our fourth roadblock is this. Simply not taking the time. And this is probably where a lot of us fall. We can honestly say that we've never taken the time to to sit down and, and process what is it that I really stand for. You kind of rely upon Sunday morning. You come in here and and you hear a message and we hear a few scriptures and we process through the Word of God and you think, well, so I've really accomplished um, all I need to do. But I want you to know that in order to truly be grounded in the things of God, you've got to know what you stand for. You've got to understand, what are the non-negotiables in my life? What are the things that I'm not willing to waver on? What is really the the high priority in my life? What is it that I'm going to instill in my life and there in turn instill in the future generations? Whether you realize it or not, Mom, whether you realize it or not, Dad, what you are doing right now is being recognized and perceived by your children. They will in turn respond to their children, and they will respond to their children. There's a ripple effect by what you're doing, how you're responding, what you set as a priority in life. If we don't discover what we stand for, we'll ultimately stand for nothing. If you fail to discover what you stand for, if you don't set that level, that list, if you don't set those non-negotiables, you will fall for anything, you will give in to anything, you will embrace anything. And in turn, the ripple effect is a domino effect. You'll see the next generation and the next generation and the next generation not just grab a hold of it, but truly embrace it and hold on to it. I challenge you, take the needed time. This message has some homework. That's a first. I don't normally assign homework, and no, I'm not going to collect it next week, and I'm not going to give grades, and it's not going to be posted everywhere for everyone to see. This is homework for you, but I believe it's vitally important homework. This week, I'm going to challenge you to write your own mission statements. Now, listen carefully. Husbands, do not allow your wife to write one for you. I know how you think, guys. You're thinking, well, she's much better with words than I am. So I'm just going to let her write mine. Honey, can you you just give me that when you get it done? What do you you think I should stand for? No, you are the man in the house. The Bible says that you are to be the leader of your house. Men, I challenge you to challenge your family this week to write a mission statement. 
Maybe you want to have one for you personally, but maybe you want to have one for your family as well. Now listen, I didn't say one or the other, because you've got to have a personal mission statement. You need to know who you are individually, because the Bible says that you are chosen. You individually are called out. You are his special possession. You are the one he wants to set apart. What do you stand for? Are there any of these roadblocks that you need to to knock out of the way, that you need to, to work through? Are there any priorities that you need to change? Very quickly, I want to give you two steps to establishing your mission. Number one is this, very simple. Determine proper priorities. Determine proper priorities. Luke chapter 12 says this, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Wherever your treasure is, there the desire of your heart will also be. Now, I think we can look at this scripture in reverse, and it still applies. Wherever the desires of your heart are, that's where you're going to find your treasure. So in other words, whatever it is that you are making a priority in life, that's what's going to get the most attention and the greatest amount of effort in your life. I ask you today, does your relationship with God reflect the desires of your heart? Does the amount of effort that you're putting into your relationship with God, does it truly reflect a relationship with God? Have you made God a priority? Or has He gotten moved to the back seat behind other things in life? I want to share with you some interesting statistics. It may not make a hill of beans difference to most of you, um, but it really impacted my life. Look at active church attendance 15 years ago. Uh, 15 years ago, 40% of a congregation said, you know what, I attend church four times a month. I'm considered very active. I'm there every weekend. Uh, four times a month is, is what I do, 40%. 40% of the congregation says, I attend three times a month. So here we have 80% attend at least three times a month. 10% I attend twice a month, and 10% one time a month. Now, this trend has shifted. Now, now, hold on with me just for a moment. I, I'm not getting into a legalism thing of you've got to attend X amount of times in order to go to heaven. You've got to have a frequent flyer mark in order to get to heaven. But I want you to, uh, we're going to get someplace with this. So 40%, four times, 40%, three, 10, two, and 10, one. Look what happens now. So 15 years ago, that was it. Today, it's this. 10% of the congregation attends four times a month. 15% attends 
three times a month. So here we have 25%, one quarter of the congregation attends at least three times a month. 35% attend twice a month, and 40% attends once a month. Do you feel that this statistic has any effect on why our culture is in the mess that it's in? Think about your answer because you may be part of the 40% there. I believe that this statistic has a major effect on why our society is going downhill quickly. Because we, the church, are no longer seeing the importance of gathering together. Hebrews chapter 10 says this, And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing Near. I fear that, that this statistic makes a major impact, a major ripple effect upon the society around us. I hear some of you, come on, Pastor, quit meddling this morning. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. I hear you. But let me share something I've shared many times before. If that's the stance you take, then try this one. You don't have to have a parachute to jump out of an airplane, but it helps. It helps. Our life as a Christian, our journey as a Christian, was not meant to be an island adventure. It was meant to be a, a corporate connection with one another we need one another we need to spend time encouraging one another and learning from one another and sharpening one another and lifting one another up and honestly in correcting one another but oftentimes we just go out and and do our thing and we make other things a higher priority oh well pastor i I just think my child's going to be that professional baseball player so i've got to miss three months in the summertime to get them across town to play baseball every sunday morning they have a greater chance of dying and going to hell than they have of making professional baseball player let me move on i think you you get where i'm headed there Your kids need to see that your connection with God is a priority in life. See, mom and dad, what what you are modeling for them is what they are going to display in their life. So I ask you, what is the priority that you are setting up for your family? Again, I'm not saying that you need to get legalistic on this, that you have to attend a certain amount of times. But what I'm saying is you need this connection with one another. You need to spend time in church. You need to be spending time in your Bible. You need to be spending time in prayer. You need to make that connection with God vital. The Bible says hide his word in your heart that you won't sin against him. 
we see this kind of struggle over and over in the Old Testament. You would have one generation that was on fire for God, and the Bible says, and the ruler of this nation followed after the things of God and did what God desired. And then the next generation would, would begin to um, justify their actions, and they would allow this to go on and that to go on. They would, they would compromise, and they would conform, and they would, they would grab a hold of what the culture around them was doing. And then you found a generation that knew nothing about the things of God. Nothing. What's your future generation? What, what kind of legacy are you leaving for your kids and your grandkids? Great-grandkids, your great-great-grandkids. What kind of legacy, what kind of a ripple effect are you presenting to them? I'd encourage you today to set godly priorities in your life. Set your family up for spiritual success. And the second step is this. Develop a God-directed plan. Not just your own plan. Don't just kind of write something on a piece of paper and hope it all goes well. But spend some time this week in prayer saying, God, what is it that I stand for? God, what is it that you'd have me to be? Have you positioned yourself in your relationship with God to win or fail? That's the question you've got to ask. Have you positioned yourself to win or fail? I would venture to say that many, if not all, would quickly respond, well, pastor, of course, to win. But take a moment and examine your life. Take a moment and see what is it you're setting as a priority in your relationship. If you are not giving God a high priority of your time, I'm here to tell you that you have not set yourself up to win, but you've set yourself up to fail. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, So I run with purpose. By the way, that's the only reason to run. Run with purpose. In every step. I am not just shadow boxing. I'm disciplining my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Look at this. Paul says, every step that I take has a purpose. Left foot, purpose. Right foot, purpose. I exist for a reason, not just to go through the motion, but every step has a purpose. I discipline myself. In other words, he takes the word of God seriously. Remember, Jesus said, if you want to be his follower, you've got to deny yourself. You've got to take up your cross. You've got to follow him. That's discipline. That's setting priorities. It's not just having a plan, it's pursuing that plan. Paul says, I do this so that when I get to the end, I'm not disqualified. 
Colossians 3.23 says, Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. What does your mission statement look like? Fourteen years ago, I wrote my mission statement, 2005. It's been the mission statement that I kind of run my life by now. And here's what I wrote. I exist, three things. One, to be the man of God that He desires me to be. I exist to be the man that He desires me to be. Because 1 Samuel says, The Lord has sought after a man after His own heart. God looks for a man after His own heart. I want to be that man. The second to be a godly father and husband to the family in which God has entrusted me. Husbands must love their wives, the Bible tells us in Ephesians. Proverbs says, teach your children to choose the right path. I want to be that that godly father. I want to be that godly husband that he wants me to be, that he's entrusted me to be. And thirdly, to be the minister of the gospel in which God has called me. Scripture that God gave me early in ministry, Isaiah 49. The Lord called me before my birth. From within the womb, He called me by name. Why do I exist? I exist to be the man that He desires me to be. To be the godly father and husband He's entrusted me to be. To be the minister of the gospel that He's called me to be. Why do you exist? To get up Monday morning and go to work? No, there's so much more than that. Your mission statement doesn't have to look like mine. It doesn't have to resemble that of the church. Love, reach, and empower people of all cultures for Jesus. The important thing is that you have a mission statement. On your outline, there should be a little template. It simply says, I exist to dot, dot, However you want that to look, whatever that needs to look like, I want to challenge you this week. Discover why you exist. This isn't going to be a three-minute excursion. This is going to take some time. There's going to be probably many rewrites, several crumpled up pieces of paper, some time on your knees praying, saying, God, why do I exist? But Mom and Dad, I want to challenge you to lead the way on this. I want to encourage you to, to challenge your, your children, your students, to write theirs. Why do they exist? Why do you exist? Because unless we really know what we stand for will stand for nothing. What are the non-negotiables 